This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning. Welcome to the official beginning of the Christmas season. Won't this be a fun time? You're not so sure, huh? I think it's going to be a great time. I know, like me, I'm sure you have followed with interest uh, the things that are happening half a world away. And several of you asked me on the way in this morning, and uh, yes, the Taj Mahal Hotel was a hotel that was on the list of hotels that uh, recently I picked from when we were in India, and uh, fortunately we picked a different hotel. And uh, it's just, it's amazing that what happens a half a world away has such profound effect on, on the rest of the world. And uh, we have uh, been blessed to live in times that are truly amazing and uh, a little bit scary, but amazing. And uh, so I was praying through the prayer requests just this last week. I think perhaps my favorite one was a prayer request that came from one of our teenagers. And among the things on that card was three short words, life is good. What a great message. I hope you enjoy every single day of life. Welcome to New Life, especially those of you who are new if you've never been here before. I want to say a personal welcome to you. My name is Ron and uh, part of the pastoral staff here and, and delighted to get the opportunity to speak to you this morning and open up the Christmas story. And we've got a very special uh, series um, for you that will take us from now through the end of Christmas. And uh, so uh, let me give you a couple things to do, and then I'm going to talk to you. So uh, if you open up your program, on the inside of your program, you're going to find sermon notes. They say New Life Notes at the top with today's date, fill-in-the-blank kind of stuff. And uh, I left some room at the beginning for you to write down some things uh, during the introduction because... um, I want to stretch your mind for just a minute. I want you to think with me for just a minute as we get into the Christmas season. For many people, it's their favorite time of the year. I think for me, it's it's really my favorite time of the year. Uh, Thanksgiving uh, weekend is kind of my favorite weekend because virtually everyone gets a four-day weekend on Thanksgiving a weekend, and we all come to church with our bellies fuller than they should be but looking forward to turkey sandwiches in the afternoon. That's how that works. So it should be a whole lot of fun. Um, But one of the things that you've probably noticed and I've probably noticed is that people put on a kind of a different behavior during the Christmas season. They look at each other with more grace normally, with more kindness, with more generosity. Um, In fact, I think In many ways, it would be great if we just acted like it was Christmas all year long, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful if people went out of their way to do kind things and were generous and thoughtful and so forth? And as I began to pray about this particular message and began to to ponder some things, I realized that isn't it amazing that someone who lived 2,000 years ago could have such profound effect upon people today? You know, 2,000 years is a long time. 
It's a long time. And then the more I thought about that, the more I pondered that, the more I realized, well, well, let's just take a whole bunch of facts about Jesus and fold them over the top of that. For instance, um, a man who was born in a barn, not too likely to have an effect on people 2,000 years later. A man who was born to poor parents. A man who never ventured more than 350 miles from his birthplace. A man who never wrote a book. Who never led an army. Who never lived as most of us do in homes, but lived a homeless lifestyle. Who died as a common criminal. And then when you think about it, what is it about Jesus that has affected the world? It's his teachings, right? Now think about this. His entire teaching career lasted three years. That's pretty short. He never had a sermon put on a CD. Never appeared on television. Never even had a podcast. Can you imagine that? Never, never used any form of mass media for communication at all. And yet, some 2,000 years later, the celebration of his birth affects the entire world. You go to virtually any country on planet Earth, and Christmas is a season that's remembered there. He affected history more than all the other rulers of the earth combined And today, almost half, a little bit better than 40%, of all the people who walk the face of our globe claim to be followers of Jesus. You know what that means? It means there's really only two choices. Either Jesus is a historical figure, or he's the greatest hoax that has ever existed. When I look at the evidence, I realize, you know, when we study over this next four or five weeks, when we look at the players in the Christmas story, this is not like the Wizard of Oz. It's not like any of the other stories or fairy tales. We're talking about the most powerful and dynamic person who's ever walked the face of planet Earth, who so affected the history and the behavior of mankind that some 2,000 years later, he still modifies our behavior and modifies the behavior of people who don't even claim to follow him. It is the most important story we could ever focus on. So we're going to have some fun with this. Now, I want to talk with you a little bit about... um, how God works. You realize that God, anything that happens on the face of planet Earth that has God as its origin, that right now He does that through people? For instance, those of you who have become Christians, were you driving down the road one day and God wrote it up in the clouds and you went, oh my goodness, I need to become a Christian because look at that cloud. It says, accept Jesus now. Is that how that happened? I've been, I've been a pastor for... 35 years, and I've never had a single person ever tell me a story like that. 
where they were just driving down the road and miraculously God appeared to them and told them to become a Christian and they became one. Why? Because God does His work on this earth through people. Always has and always will. Think about this with me for a minute. If you know the Bible, then you'll be familiar with this story. But the man who wrote about half of the New Testament, his name was Paul. And on the day that, that, that he encountered Christ, yes, there was a bright light in the sky, and it was Jesus. And he said to him, why are you persecuting me? Because at that point, he was actually persecuting Christians. Now, now notice what Jesus said. I want you to get up. I want you to go into the city. And a man by the name of Ananias will come and teach you what you need to do in order to be saved. Even in that setting, God didn't give him the message. He sent a human being. And so it is that all of the major players in the Christmas story, they're all people. Yes, even Jesus was was a person with a human body. Because whatever God does on this earth, He does through people. By the way, that's what makes the church such an important thing. Because God does His work on this earth through people in churches. And so what what happens here today, it isn't just people greeting each other and filling out name tags or welcoming each other or singing or whatever. It's actually God doing His work through the church. And God will work in our lives this morning if we're open to that. And that's what I would certainly encourage you to be. But the amazing thing about when God works through people, if you want a word to write down, just write down the word ambushed. Because the amazing thing about all these people that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Joseph, we're going to talk about Mary, we're going to talk about the shepherds, we're going to talk about the Magi, and we're going to talk about Jesus himself. All these people were just sort of going through life when they were, quote, ambushed by God, and that day became a life-changing day for them. And that's why the title of the series is Christmas Along the Way. And today we're going to jump into that story through the, through the life of Joseph, who is perhaps the most obscure of all of the players in the Christmas story, and yet performed a, a very, very important role in, in the Christmas story. So let me give you a little background on Joseph, what we know about him. First of all, we know he was a young businessman. There's some assumptions that we can make. Um, or inferences that we can make. For instance, because nothing is ever mentioned about Joseph's father or Joseph's mother or any member of his family, one of the things that's, a, that, that's inferred by that is Joseph probably didn't work in his father's carpentry business. He probably started the business himself. So, Here he is, a young businessman who's developing his business. He probably had been given by God the gift of of being able to work with wood and turn that into an occupation. And for the rest of his life, he's going to build things, houses, furniture. I don't know. He he was a carpenter. Whatever his specialty was, that's what he worked at. The second thing we know about Joseph was that he was engaged to be married. 
Now, I want to help you out with that because an engagement in Israel is not at all like an engagement here. You know, here people meet and they fall in love and then they decide, hey, let's get married and there's a proposal and normally there's the exchange of a ring and, and you know, it's you know put on the scoreboard at the Giants game or something and that's how that works. Not so in Joseph's world. When Joseph got engaged to be married, those marriages were all arranged. It was a family deal. And from the time Joseph was a, was a young child, his parents talked to him and, and, about his coming marriage someday, and they were preparing him to be a husband and a father, and they continually trained him with the goal in mind that he would be a, a wonderful husband and a wonderful father someday, and that as he got older, that his parents would select for him the very best match that they could possibly come up with. And this would be a lady hand-selected by his parents who knew him better than anyone and who loved him more than anyone else and they would go out and hand-select someone that they were sure would be a wonderful match for him. You know when you're a kid that gives you the shudders, right? When you're a parent you think, that sounds pretty good. Well, that's how it happened in Joseph's life. And so we know that since he was engaged to be married, that in most cultures where marriages are arranged, what happens is the parents of, of the prospective bride and groom meet together. They talk about it. They, they, they uh, talk about whether both sets think it would be a good match. And when they both uh, sets of parents agree it's a good match, then the lady is brought to stand before her prospective husband, and they are allowed to visit together and ask each other questions. It's not normally a long or lengthy meeting. So you're going to talk about things that are really important. And then it's off to prepare for the marriage. Now it was in the time between when they were engaged and when they were going to be married that the Christmas story has its origin. But we do know this, Joseph was excited about getting married because everybody would be. And we know that now he's not only building his business as a young businessman, but now he's building his business because he's getting ready to get married. And he wants to make sure that his business can support him and his wife and any future children God might bless them with. So he has a whole new perspective on business and on life and on the world. He's no longer just Joseph, the young carpenter. He's Joseph, the soon-to-be husband of Mary. It's just a whole different world for him. So Joseph is going about his business, and plans are being made for the wedding, and he's doing whatever is his part in that, and he's working on his business And then comes the day that he kind of gets ambushed by God, but the message doesn't come from God. It actually comes from his fiancée. In the movie The Nativity, this is what it looks like. Joseph? Do you know 
Do you know the reason I chose you, Henry? I believed you were a woman of great virtue. I have lived my life seeking honor. Honor. Mary, so how am I to answer this? If I claim this child is mine, I will be lying. I will have broken a law laid down by God. I would never ask you to lie. If I say this child is not mine, they will ask what I want to do. And if I accuse you, There is a will for this child, greater than my fear of what they may do. I will make no accusation. Without that, there can be no trial. You have shown great mercy, Joseph. For that, I will be thankful. You know, that was not an easy path to walk. Speaking of getting ambushed, I, I can't say whether Mary actually told him the day that he went over uh, to be with her family, but uh, I know at some point she told him, and that had to be a tough and awkward conversation, and I wrote in my notes the word tension. Well, you talk about somebody whose life was instantaneously infused with giant amounts of tension. Well, Joseph's life would never be the same ever after that one conversation. And the tension arose from, from two things that he couldn't reconcile in his own mind. First of all, as he, look, as he looked at Mary, and, and Mary was talking to him, you know when people are lying, you can kind of read it in their body language? Particularly if they're telling a big one. Now I have a mind to believe that this is about as big as it gets. If you're going to show up pregnant and you're going to blame God for it, that's pretty big on the liar scale, right? Yeah, it's way at the top. And Joseph is looking at her thinking, Golly, how can you say that and look so convincing if you're lying? The second thing that caused tension in his life is, you know, If he believes this, everything he's believed about Mary, everything his parents have told him about this lady they have hand-selected for him, everything that Mary's parents have said to Joseph, and everything that the townspeople have believed about Mary, it's all not true. 
And yet, it doesn't seem real likely that it can be. Here's where I want you to understand the the first lesson out of Joseph's life. And here it is. God reveals himself to people who don't just jump to conclusions. Now that's hard for us to practice in real life, especially when something right up front seems like, hmm. Some of you will remember the first day you were invited to new life and someone said, church was fun there. And you're going, I've been to church before. And that doesn't seem real likely. And they said, no, 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 really, come. It's interesting. And you went, I've been to church before many times. That doesn't seem real likely either. No, 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 this church is different. People are loving and accepting here. And you went, I've been to church before. It was not my experience. And you could have just jumped to a conclusion, and perhaps you did. And they ask you again and again and again, and finally they drug you here for something, and you went, oh, yeah. We all have experiences like that in life where it's very easy for us just to dismiss out of hand something that actually is true, but it seems too good to be true or not likely to be true. Now, I want to give you something to do in those circumstances and situations because if you read between the lines in Joseph's life, this is actually what he did, and it kept him from exiting the Christmas story. When you're unsure and there's tension and you can't make sense out of things, then you start to fall back. You should, anyway, fall back on what you know to be true and then just proceed with caution. So don't just get caught making your decisions based out of confusion. Fall back on what you know to be true. Well, here's what Joseph did. As he looked at Mary, he had to think, Golly, she just does not have the demeanor of someone who's lying. So before I accuse her of lying, I'll just put that in the category of things I can't decide right now, but I can look at her and register that she doesn't look like she's lying. The second thing I know is that Mary's a good person. I can't believe she could fool everybody all the time. There's something about this story that I don't know. It doesn't add up. But I I do know this. I do know that Mary's a good person. And I do know this. If you're going to tell a lie, this is probably not where you'd start. That much I think he could put together. And the third thing he knew is, I'm a good person and, and, and even if Mary has lied to me, and even if Mary has slept with another man, it does not relieve me of my responsibility to treat her with kindness and goodness. I will not allow even wrong behavior in another to bring out wrong behavior in me. By the way, those are three really good things. And there's a lesson in there for all of us. So you know what Joseph did? You saw it. He said, okay, Mary, I won't accuse. Now, he didn't jump on board and say, I fully accept. Did you notice that? He just said, I won't accuse, and without an accusation, there can't be a trial. 
me share with you kind of the key understanding here. I'll read you a verse. This is how Jesus, the, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to publicly or disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. That's the process he went through. Here's the key understanding. And that is, when we go with our gut, everybody understands what that means, right? When we go with our gut and we dismiss something out of hand simply because it doesn't line up with what we assume to be true, here's the sad part. We may well miss the opportunity to be part of what God's doing. Can I share with you that if you go through this life and you live your entire lifetime and you never ever experience what it's like to be part of what God's doing, you will have missed the greatest adventure of life. Uh, there's not, and I, I watch it happen in people's lives here all of the time. And that is when they get here and they get connected with God and they begin to open their heart and their life to God and God begins to work through them and they sense God, wow, look what God did through me. Look at this thing that God decided to do through me. There's no feeling in the world that compares with knowing that God used you to do something that changed somebody else's life. However, if Joseph, had, if Joseph had jumped to the conclusion, Mary, that's just too far out there. I'm out of here. I'm exiting this story. And in fact, you might tell a whopper to me and you might tell a whopper to your family. But the deal is, we have ways of dealing with people that tell those kinds of lies and that live that kind of life. And so I'm going to publicly accuse you. I'm going to... I'm, you know, you've hurt me, you've wounded me, you've disgraced me in front of this entire community, and you are not going to get by with that. If he had taken that choice. Now think with me for a minute. Would the Christmas story still have happened? Yes. Because God would make sure it happened. It just would have happened without Joseph. And he would have been forever known as the guy who gave up on the mother of the Son of God. How would you like that reputation? Oh, yeah. That's the dude who could have been Jesus' dad. Yeah. Thank God, Joseph was a good man, and he went back just on what he knew and said, Okay, I've got to rely on what I know, and I've got to proceed with caution. And he did, and eventually, something else happened in his life. You and I are all, all of us in the, in the course of our lifetime are going to encounter situations that somehow are just confusing to us. Because they go so counter to what we've always kind of known to be true or experienced in life. And yet someone with earnestness is telling us something that's exactly the opposite of that. And, and they don't seem to have a personal agenda in it. It's, they're just trying to help us to see what they believe with all their heart to be really true. Even though it's the opposite of what we've ever believed And we kind of stall in the stream of life. 
And we're trying to make sense of it. Now, when we are honestly confused, and by the way, I want to talk to you about the difference between being confused and disappointed. I've seen a lot of Christians be disappointed because, quote, God won't let them do what they really want to do. And they say, I'm just so confused. No, they're not confused. They're disappointed. They're like a little kid who wants a chocolate chip cookie right before lunch. And they, and they say, you know, in their minds they're thinking, and I thought my mother loved me. And I thought she was kind and gracious to me. And if they got a little friend, they go, that's just my mom. She's mean. You know, they think they're confused. They're not really confused. They're just disappointed. But Joseph isn't disappointed. He's honestly confused. When that happens in our lives, God will bring us the help we need to take away that confusion. And that's exactly what God did for Joseph. Take a look at this video clip. Joseph, fear not, for that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. I know. Mary God showed me. An angel came to me in my dream. You believe me? I believe you. Your child will need a father. I will declare him as my own. They will not look at you the same. They will not look at us the same. You are my wife. I am your husband. That is all anyone need know. You know, for Joseph, it was a vision. It was a dream in the middle of the night, and I don't know what that dream looked like for sure. It might have been what you saw there, but the bottom line was God came alongside Joseph and said, okay, let me help you put the pieces together. And once he got a little help from God, you know, it didn't mean he had any less tension in his life. He just had different tension. 
But at least life made sense to him now. And I can tell you that in your life and mine, that's exactly what God will do. He will come alongside us. It may be God takes you to a church and you hear a sermon and it answers questions that you've had. It may be that God brings a friend into your life. And as that friend begins to speak truth into your life, that God will say something through that friend. This is like the fog lifts out of your life. Because God does not want you to go through life totally confused. He wants you to understand the basic truths of life. Well, here's the second lesson we can learn from Joseph's life. And that is finding God often requires us to leave our religious heritage in order to embrace God's eternal truth. I want to commend many of you. Many of you didn't grow up in a church like New Life. Many of you didn't grow up in a church at all. So leaving your religious heritage meant, you know, leaving none and taking one on. Many of us grew up with a religious heritage. So while it was Christian, it looked significantly different than what we have here today. I've learned this. Very, very, very few people are ever born and raised in a home where all they have to do is completely embrace what their parents taught them. For most of us, there's a journey in there somewhere. And for most of us, we come to a time in our life where we recognize I can either choose the religious heritage and all of it that I was raised in, or I can, I can accept what God is showing me, however similar or different it may be to my religious heritage. But am I going to cling to my religious heritage or am I going to go with God? I remember making that decision years ago as, a, as an 18-year-old uh, freshman in college. Much of what I had been given as a child was wonderful. Much of the Christianity I had been given as a child was wonderful. I don't ever, I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't know God loved me because I was taught that before I could talk or walk or do anything on my own. So much that was given to me was so good and yet a significant portion of what I was given didn't really match with the heart of God. And yet everything I had known was all wrapped up in that. My father was a pastor like that. My grandfather was a pastor like that. I had five uncles who were pastors like that. It was all I had ever really been exposed to, except one day as I picked up the Bible and began to read the Bible and compare, as 18-year-olds do, what I read in the Bible with what I was experiencing in church, I realized there's a significant difference. So what was I going to go with? What I had always been raised with or what I actually saw in God's Word? And for me, the risks were high because my family was so deeply tied up in that. And I realized that I could either go with God or I just could go with kind of whatever I had been given. Well, Joseph found it, I think, much more profound than the decision I had to make. Why? Well, everything that Joseph had been taught about the Messiah 
whether it was at his local synagogue, whether it was by his mother and his father, or whether it was by some traveling guy who came up to Nazareth from Jerusalem, all the religious teachers basically taught three or four things about Messiah. Okay? For instance, they all taught that the Messiah would be born into royalty. Joseph looked at Mary and he was like, hmm, nice lady, but I don't think anybody would accuse her of being royal. As Joseph would soon find out, he, not only was Jesus going to be born to an unwed mother, but he was actually going to be born in a barn. That's a pretty serious challenge to what he had always known. Secondly, all the religious teachers taught that that the Messiah would make a miraculous appearance. They all believed that. Um, what Joseph was learning about Jesus was that he would be born quite naturally, or at least from all external appearances, to an ordinary woman who was pregnant and carried him full time. What all the teachers had taught about Messiah was that he would rule all the nations from Jerusalem. And Joseph is thinking, I don't even live in Jerusalem, and neither does Mary. And what's the likelihood of a child born to an unwed mother in Nazareth becoming king in Jerusalem? That didn't seem real likely. And so Joseph found himself, what am I going to believe? There's that, what I call the moment of truth. And God will bring a moment of truth in your life as you wrestle and struggle with, with things that are confusing about Christianity. And here you find it, let me read it to you from Scripture. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I don't have time to get into all of it, but Joseph recognized that basically what the angel was saying is, this is the Messiah that you've heard about all your life. And the angel was saying, trust me, this is how it's supposed to be. And so, there you have it. Now, in an instant, Joseph experiences relief and then a new tension. The relief is, thank God, Mary's not lying to me. <laughs> Everything I've known about Mary, I still can believe about her because it's true. And now what I have known about her, I know even more. Not only is she a virtuous woman, she's an outstanding woman. For God has selected her to be the mother of His Son. And that means God has selected me to be the earthly father of his son. Wow. And then reality hits. 
You know, if I found this story hard to believe, it's going to be a hard sell out there in a community. It's going to be a really hard sell. So now he has a whole different other kind of tension. I think Mary said it well, as you saw it in the video clip, Joseph. No one will ever look at you the same again. They won't look at us the same. And you know something they didn't. You probably have noticed, or maybe it's never occurred to you, but in all of the Christmas story, there's never any mention ever made again of Joseph's parents or family members or of Mary's parents or family members because more than likely they wanted nothing to do with this story. You know, if you too are going to believe that, you're on your own. Yeah. Here's the key understanding. When we base our faith choices around what our family believes or what is politically correct at the time, we may well miss God's eternal truth. I could talk quite a while about that. I, I just want to say... I understand family is important. I understand family exerts a pressure on us. And I understand that our community is important and that our community puts a lot of pressure on all of us to be politically correct. And I can, I can assure you that there are things about Christianity that are not considered politically correct by our culture. But I can also assure you that long after political correctness, the winds of political correctness have blown across our country and they're long gone, Christianity will still be here because it doesn't rely on political correctness. It's based on truth. And the challenge that you and I have is how are we going to, what are we going to base our faith choices on? I want to challenge you and encourage you to base your faith choices around truth. Because there are times when the truth is very popular, and there are times when the truth is not quite so popular, but I can tell you this, truth endures. Because it's true. And Joseph took the long look, not the short look. The short look would have been to do what his family did and what the community wanted him to do. Joseph took the long look. And he said, you know, I recognize that if I'm ever going to be used by God, I've got to care more about what's actually true and what God wants than what my mom or my dad or my aunts or my cousins or the people of this community may think, I've got to go with God because in the end, that's what really counts. And because of that, Joseph plays a key role in the Christmas story. As we close, I want to draw your attention back to one, one verse. The, the words of the angel, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to. And you know the rest of that. He said, take Mary as, as your wife. I'm just wondering, how would that sentence be completed in your life and in mine? 
If God came to us in a dream today, and tonight as we laid on our bed, and the angel of the Lord said to us, you know, Ron, do not be afraid to, I wonder what the rest would be in my life. What is it that God wants me, that next step in my life that God wants me to take? That either sometimes because I'm too selfish to, or afraid to, or whatever else it might be, I wonder what that next step would be in my life and in yours. Well, the worship team is going to come and sing a song, and I want you to pause and to think about that. Because if you leave today and you know what that answer is, then it was well worth your while coming, and God would say to you, I don't want you to be afraid to. In other words, now is the time. Step forward and, and make that step. You know, last Sunday was a <clears throat> baptism Sunday here at New Life. And one of the more refreshing things about that, about that service and that Sunday was between first service and second service, one of the people came up to me and they said, I put this off long enough. Can I go get my clothes and get baptized second service? I said, absolutely. You know, for that person, they knew what the next step was. And they'd been putting it off because of fear. And they recognized, I have nothing to be afraid of. It's time for me to do this. I don't know what that might look like in your life. But I pray that you find it. And I pray that I find it. And I pray that this Christmas season, we'll find all of us taking that next step forward. I can assure you, as Joseph pondered all of this in his heart and life, there were two questions that came up in his life. And chances are... They're the same two questions that are going to come up in yours and mine. Question number one, are the risks too high? You know, for some of us guys, it starts pretty low on the chain. Are the risks too high? Am I willing to give up NFL football on Sunday morning? That's pretty high risk. That kind of strikes at my manhood. And it could be everything from that to, if I choose to become a Christian, what's my family going to do with that? Those risks might be significantly higher. Joseph kept thinking, what about the risks? And then the second question that Joseph pondered was, the Son of God needs a father? Ooh. <laughs> what do I have to offer? I'm a carpenter in Nazareth. And God's going to make me the father, the earthly father of his son? What do I have to give? And sometimes when God's calling us to take that next step, it could be to be a life group leader. And we think, what do I have to give? How can I be a life group leader? Or maybe God's calling us to go work in some ministry in the church, work with the children or be a greeter or whatever else it might be. Kind of doesn't make any difference, but most of us kind of start from a position of, whoa, that's a bit of a stretch. Thank God that Joseph answered both, both of those questions correctly. And so, as the songwriter said, 
Joseph came to one conclusion, and I hope it's the conclusion that you and I come to. And that is, well, whatever I've got, I'll give, because this is all I have to give. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.